Well, good morning. We've been on a journey these past months through the book of John. And at this point in the book, we're on a journey with Jesus toward the cross and the resurrection. The cross is two weeks away for us, but for Jesus, it was only a few hours away. Before he gets arrested, before he gets nailed to the cross, condemned. And here's the amazing thing. As Jesus prays in John 17, we've been looking at the first part of his prayer last week, and today we finish his prayer in John 17. What do you think was on his mind as he was about to be arrested? It was us. (laughs) It was us. In this last part of his prayer, he prays for us. And as he prays for us, he reveals his heart toward us in a way that is amazing, I think. I mean, it's just, we see something about his love for us, his care for us, that I think this is a life-changing passage. He had us in his mind. And as he prayed for us, what do you think he prayed for? Did he pray for protection? Did he pray for comfort for us? (laughs) Did he pray for spiritual power, blessings from God? Well, those are all good things, but that's not what he prayed for. He prayed for oneness, what we just sang about. He prayed for oneness for us. And so this reveals, I think, what was most concerned, most on his heart, what he was most concerned about for you and for me as we live out our Christian lives. He He looks down through the centuries and he prays for all that might come to know him and he prays that we might be one. And as we think about Christianity through the centuries and today, I think we can understand why we need his prayers, don't we? Because oneness is something we struggle with. We struggle to live out our oneness and instead we have so many deep divisions between us as believers. David Stern, who is a Messianic Jew, a commentator, says this, Most Jewish people are at least confused, if not scandalized, by the distinctions between various kinds of Christians which seem to divide more than unite. There's Eastern Orthodox versus Western, Roman Catholic versus Protestant, hundreds or thousands of Protestant denominations most of which are verses, at least some of the others, and thousands of one-church denominations with no organizational affiliation. How many lives have been sacrificed over the centuries in wars between Christians? How often do the media report loveless castigations of one Christian group by another? Other people look on this display of disunity with disgust or disdain. That's the sad truth, unfortunately. And yet Jesus in this passage prays for oneness for us. What does he really want? What is he looking for? What does oneness look like? And how do we live that out practically in our lives? How do we do that? Well, let's look because he tells us in this passage. And as we do so, we'll enter into a picture of Jesus' heart for you and for me as we live out our Christian lives day to day in this 
difficult, messed up, struggling world in which we live. What does oneness look like? John 17, beginning in verse 20. And first he gives us the basis for our oneness. He begins this way. My prayer is not for them alone. Who's the them? Well, remember last week, verse 9 through 19, Jesus prays specifically for the disciples, the 11 apostles that are with him as he prays this prayer. He prays specifically for them last week. But here he says, I pray not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, through the apostles' message, that all of them may be one, Father. So who's he praying for? For every believer throughout history who through what the apostles have taught have come to know who Jesus is. Those who have believed in Jesus through their message, through the message of the apostles, through the message of these disciples, fallen men, but who received a message of Jesus and passed it on through preaching, verbally, word by word to other people, but eventually they wrote it down. And so we throughout history have come to believe in Jesus and understand who he is because of the words that the apostles wrote down for us. Isn't that wonderful? They passed it on to us. So as Jesus is praying here, he's praying for all those who have believed. Okay, so who is he praying for? Who's part of his family? Who is it that's included? Who is it? What unites us together? What's the basis for our oneness? It's our belief in Christ. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to think for a moment, and then when I say three, you shout out the name of the church you first went to when you came to Christ. Okay? Have it in mind. One, two, three. Wow. (laughs) Okay, now I'm going to count to three, and I want you to shout out the name of your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. Jesus. Wow. What a picture of unity, though, isn't it? What unites us is not what group we belong to or what doctrinal statement we sign. It's Jesus. It's our faith in Him. And that makes us one no matter where we are. Throughout this world, there's a universal church that Jesus wanted to create And it's based on belief in Jesus as declared by the apostles, as passed on to us by them. That's the rope that ties us together. That's our unity. That's the basis for it. It's our faith in Christ. Isn't that marvelous? This means several things. It means that though there's other religions in the world, some that see Jesus as a great prophet, but they're not included in the oneness. They're not part of the family that Jesus has created if they don't believe in Jesus as explained here, as the Son of God, as the one who died for our sins, as the one who came from heaven, died for us, and went back to heaven. He ascended back. If they don't believe in that Jesus, then they're not included. They're excluded. It excludes good people who do good things, who are very moral, but who don't trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as the apostles revealed him. They're excluded. They're not part of the family of God. What unites us is our faith in Christ. But 
It means there is a line of separation for who's included in this prayer, for the oneness, who we can be one with. But it also means it's very inclusive, doesn't it? (laughs) Who's included? Anyone from any country, any background, any style of worship, any way that they raise their children, anybody of different races, different cultures who declares Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. We're one with. We're included. We're in the same family. And that's who Jesus says, I pray that they would be one. I pray that they would be one. In other words, what makes us one with any other believer is our common commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior, to follow him, to trust him, to become like him, as expressed in the New Testament. That means I can't put up lines of separation. It's wrong for me to divide myself from anyone else of a different age or of a different culture or whatever who trusts Jesus as Lord. We are one, and Jesus wants us to be one. That's the only dividing line. Now, why is this so important? Why is Jesus so concerned about it? Why does he put that up as the only dividing line, and why does he want us to, to remember that? Well, because it's the most natural thing in the world for us as human beings to put up walls of separation. It's the most natural thing to put up fences because we feel secure when we can say, oh, well, I'm in this group and I agree with everybody here, so we're in the same group and I get my security here. And, and that's what the world does all the time. We, the world naturally does that. It's the most natural thing in the world to do that. And we all do it. Me too. Because that's where we find comfort. That's where it's easy. The Pharisees, of course, were masters at this. They even called themselves Pharisees, which means separatist. (laughs) I'm going to separate myself from everybody who doesn't fit in my group. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a master at that. He attacked Christians because they didn't fit into his group. But God got a hold of him. God got a hold of him and said, no more. (laughs) No more. Why? Because Jesus had a plan to create something that was new that had never been seen before in the entire history of the world. Something that crosses those barriers, that crosses all the different barriers that we put up and unites us as one in our faith in Christ. He wanted to create something that would be a unity that would bring fellowship to one another across the whole world, no matter what our backgrounds. A true universal church that we are one with everyone who puts their faith in Christ. Everyone. No matter where they live, no matter how they worship, no matter what their differences are. That was his plan. I have a family, I, good friends of ours, that they have three kids of their own. They're a, a white family, but they adopted four black children and from different cultures, different places, and they have grandchildren and It's just an interesting family. And when you are around them, you just see that they are a family. They're united despite all these little differences of background and race and everything else. They are one. And that's the way the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be. We are one. It crosses all those barriers. But you know, in the New Testament, they struggled to live that out. God had to work in them and help them learn to reach across those barriers. And much of Acts is about that. And Paul writes in Colossians, 
Something very interesting. Colossians 3.11, he says, God has done something. He's created a whole new creation. And he says, here, here in this new creation that Jesus has made, here, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Notice the different categories he gives us. There is neither Greek nor Jew. Different nationalities. Of course, the Jews felt like they were God's chosen people and everybody else was excluded. And Paul used to think that way. But he learned, you know what? In, the, in this new creation, the universal church, there are no divisions over national lines. God doesn't choose America over any other nationality. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. He wants people from every group, every culture, every nationality. And he wants us to be one with them and to express that oneness in how we treat one another. Even if they come from different political systems, that's okay. They're his too. If they express their faith in Christ, we are one with them. Greek, no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised. This has to do with our, the way we express our Christian faith, the way we live that out in everyday life. In those days, you were either, if you were circumcised, you were part of the in-group. That's how you express your faith. If you're uncircumcised, you're out. Wall of separation. And Paul said that doesn't matter in the church of Jesus Christ. It means there'll be very a whole lot of variety in how we practice our Christianity. And we're not to draw walls between one another in how we do that. There are a lot of different expressions of rituals in how we live it out. Take baptism, for example. He says, be baptized. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that can look a lot of different ways. It can be sprinkling, it can be immersion, it can be a lot of different ways, folks. And you can be one with those same people. Let's not make dividing lines just because we think our way is best. And I've got to admit, I do that. I think my way is best. But Jesus says that cannot be something that divides you. Let go of that. Let go of that. Don't destroy the oneness of the body of Christ because you're more comfortable drawing lines and saying you like people like you. We're so self-centered, aren't we? (laughs) We draw dividing lines because of styles of worship. Because we like hymns or we like contemporary music and, and Jesus says, don't do that. Don't divide over a style of worship. Learn to appreciate one another and accept one another and appreciate different styles together. Some groups are into social action. If you're living out your Christian life, you've got to go serve the poor. You know what? That's great. But some groups are more into equipping and growing and teaching the Word. Who's right? Both. (laughs) Okay, those are fine expressions of the Christian faith. Let's not divide and condemn and criticize because they're living out their faith a different way, whoever they are. One of the ways that we tend to divide is in thinking about how we raise our kids. Some of us are committed to 
certain what styles of schooling. We have a great Christian school here, Coal Valley Christian School. We have it because it's a wonderful option for parents. And they do a marvelous job of discipling kids. Other parents choose not to send their kids there. They send their kids to public schools. Others homeschool. Who's right? Everybody. <laughs> you see, those are good options. That's wonderful. It's wonderful that we have options. The question is, do you look down on other people because of the choice they make? Do you draw walls of separation? Well, we've chosen the godly way. And those people, well, they really are making a mistake because they're not doing it our way. Frankly, folks, that's sin. It is. And let's just admit we all do that at times. It divides the body of Christ. It does. That's why Jesus prays for our oneness. We draw divisions between working moms and stay-at-home moms and condemn others because they don't do it our way. We draw separation between charismatic kind of worship and churches versus Bible teaching churches and we think we're better. Whatever it is, that we, we have all kinds of ways of expressing our Christian faith and we tend to think our way is best and we draw walls of separation. And Jesus says, that is not a wall that you are to keep up. You're to tear that down. Don't be divided. He prays for oneness. A couple of attitudes to watch for. When you look at other people, do you look at them based on what they do like you or what they don't do like you and you either include or exclude them because of that? If you do, then you're divisive in that. Another question or attitude to look for, do you deep down think if people don't do it your way, whatever it is, then they're wrong or at least making a bad mistake. <laughs> well, if so, then you're standing against the Lord who prays that we would be one and the only dividing line is, do you know Jesus? Then we're one. And you can express your faith in all kinds of ways. Jesus says, according to the New Testament, the only things that we have in common in how we express our faith is baptism, when you come to Christ, communion, which we'll be celebrating in a few moments, Christians all over the world, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And as you grow in Christ, you, you become more like Christ. He's, Paul at times in Jesus in the New Testament says, if someone isn't willing to obey the Father and live under his authority and they're in rebellion against him, obviously, then at times they need to be excluded if they're not willing to respond. But those are the only times, only things that tie us together is that commitment to follow him and be like him, to celebrate communion and baptism. And then the way it's expressed is a multitude of different ways. Paul also says, neither barbarian nor Scythian. This is talking about different cultures. Do you look at different cultures and say, you know, the way they do it in New Guinea, I mean, those tribal people... <laughs> You know, they, they do weird things when they live out their faith. Or they, they have a weird culture. You know what? Jesus is not enamored with Western culture. It's not any more godly than anything else, folks. It's just different. Don't exclude other people just because they live life differently and they think differently. Take Californians, for example. 
<laughs> they can know Jesus too. <laughs> We're one with them <laughs> if they know Christ. He says, slave or free. He's talking about social standing. Do we elevate people who have more money, who, who have it all made, who their lives seem so together, who are the bigwigs? Do we cater to them? Do we look up to them? And the people who are kind of, you know, the blue collar, the kind of homeless, etc. people, yeah, they're, you know, we look down on them. Slave versus free man. Paul said, in Christ, there is none. There is no difference. Do we celebrate more a celebrity coming to Christ than somebody off the street? Shouldn't. Paul said that makes no difference. That in, Before Christ, we are one. There is no difference. You see, Jesus came to break through all those walls of separation, all those fences that we put up. And he longs for us to reach across those, tear those down, and join hands with people that look at life differently, that live out their faith differently, that express their faith differently, and stop criticizing and condemning and learn to be one. But what kind of oneness is he talking about? What is, it, what is he really saying? What does oneness mean? Verse 21 tells us. Back in John 17, verse 21 says this. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So what kind of oneness is he talking about? The same kind of oneness that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him and that we would be in them. It's a relational oneness, isn't it? It isn't uniformity where we all wear the same things and you know, or, uh, all look the same in how we live it out. That's, that's not oneness. It's not uniformity. And it's not organizational. It doesn't mean that we all have to belong to the same organization or sign the same doctrinal statement and that makes us one. That's not what he's talking about, is it? Because he says, this is what it looks like. It's how Jesus and the Father are one. You want to know what kind of oneness we're to express with each other? It's the way Jesus and the Father are one, in the way they love each other, in the way they are committed to glorify each other, to love each other, to care for each other, to make each other look good that they have the same purpose, that they are united together to build the church of Jesus Christ. See this expressed over in, back in John 10. Where it says this, starting in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, Jesus says. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is describing their oneness there and what does he say about it? He says, we're loving the sheep and no one can snatch them out of my hand and then he says, no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. They have the same purpose, to build the church, to bring people to Christ, to build the kingdom of God. And we can have that same purpose as well. See, and as we follow the Father and serve Him and relate to Him, then we will express that kind of oneness. The Bible uses the example for that of a physical body. You know, my thumb 
is very different from my elbow. <laughs> Each body part's very different from every other body part. But notice, it's one body, isn't it? And what makes it one body? Well, for one, there's the same blood that flows through every part. The same life that courses, pumps through every part. And secondly, every part is under the command of the head, following the leadership of the head. It's true of the body of Christ, universal throughout the world as well. We're one because we have the same life flowing through us, the life of Christ, and because we follow the same head, Jesus. We trust him. It's a shared life. It's a shared purpose. It's a mutual love and delight. Like the way D.A. Carson puts it, he's a commentator. He says, This unity is not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator. (laughs) No, unity is achieved by common adherence to the apostolic gospel. It's achieved by love that is joyfully self-sacrificing. It's achieved by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission with which Jesus' followers have been charged. It's achieved by self-conscious dependence on God himself for life and fruitfulness. When is a physical body, our physical bodies, when, when do they declare it dead? When there's no more brain waves, when the brain is no longer functioning, when the parts of the body can no longer respond to the leadership. If we've separated ourselves from the head and we're not following him, then we're unable to express oneness, huh? But when we're listening to that, we are one. The body's working together. We are one in Christ. That's what he's called us to. And trying to organize oneness, trying to get together, <laughs> it's not bad, but that's not oneness. That's not the real oneness he's talking about here. That can help express it, but that's not the real oneness he's talking about. It's a life that is shared in Christ. How does that happen? What's the means of our oneness? Well, again, notice what he says in verse 21 through 23. You are in me and I am in you. May they also be in me, in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How does oneness happen? How does it happen? How do, how do we maintain it? Do we organize a giant church service and invite every Christian in the world to come and then we're one? <laughs> um, do we have an ecumenical council where we all get together and talk and agree on whatever we can agree on and that makes us one? Do we make everyone sign the same doctrinal statement and that makes us one? You know what? These have all been tried. They've never worked. Jesus says, here's how oneness happens, that they may be in us. I and them and you and me. In other words, as we stay close to Jesus, as we stay and keep drawing life from him, then we will be one as a natural outgrowth of our life shared life in him it's like a tree think about a tree and all the different branches in different places pointing different ways what makes it one tree they're all drawing from the same sap from the same life from the same trunk and that makes them one and that's what he's called us as well to stay attached 
to him. And as we stay attached to him, as we stay close to him, as we stay under the head, under his authority, then we will have oneness. That's how it happens. Okay? That's the way it works. And what's the goal of oneness? The end of verse 21, the end of verse 23, he says very clearly, this is why I want you to be one. This is my heart. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So what's the goal of oneness? So that we'll all feel good when we're together? Mm -mm. Not ultimately. To make our lives better because we're getting along with other people? No. It's that the world may know. That the world may know that, that the life of Jesus might be visible to other people and it comes as we are one. As we are learning to reach across those fences and kick them out of the way and, and learn to express our oneness and our love for people across those barriers like nothing in the world could possibly do because there's no institution in the world that crosses barriers like the church is designed to do. It's that the world, it says, might know that you sent me, that we might know who Jesus is, and that he loves us, that he, they are loved by him. It's going to be a picture coming up that I think expresses who we are. <laughs> We're kind of a mess, aren't we? <laughs> Broken people, hurting, Shattered lives. We, we all come from... We're, we're all that, folks. That's who we are. But God in His plan calls us into His family. And He takes those broken pieces and begins to point us, put us together and fit us together. And the sharp edges kind of hurt and we go, I don't like this person. This is difficult. This is hard. You probably wrote a name down on the piece of paper of someone who's got pointy edges and you're going, this person's hard to get along with. God's plan is, as we learn to fit together and love one another, despite our differences, despite our struggles, that all those broken pieces would begin to form a picture, a beautiful picture. Now, this is a mosaic that is actually by the Sea of Galilee that was created in about the 5th century. You can see it's the fishes and loaves. It's a picture representing the feeding of the 5,000. But I show it to you because... For one, it's a beautiful picture of all these pieces of jagged edges that are fit together, and when you step back, you see the big picture. And those people that you are rubbing shoulders with that are difficult to get along with sometimes, God's plan is that that is part of a picture so that the world might know that Jesus is real, that he is Lord, and that the world might know that God loves them. So don't fight it, folks. Reach across those barriers. Let go of those resentments. Stop building walls and fences just because it feels more comfortable. And as you reach across those barriers and begin to take hands with others that are different, express your oneness. Live it out. Learn to love one another. The world will see a picture of who God is that they could not see any other way. Isn't that marvelous? That's God's plan. What does the world see when they look at us? 
today. Sobering, isn't it? Do they see condemnation? A lot of times. Division? Political striving for power? Yeah, too often. Self-centeredness? Too often. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. And help us, Lord, to express the oneness that you've created us for. Jesus ends this passage, though, not with condemning us, but with expressing his heart towards us in a way that draws us to him. He says this in verse 24 through 26, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they, talking about us, know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If you read that carefully, you see Jesus' heart towards us. He knows we struggle with oneness and he says, Father, as he's about to go to the cross, he says, Father, I desire that they might be with me and that they might be, know the love that you have for me, that it might be in them, that they might know your love and that they might express it to others. Because that's life. That's life. And Jesus longs for us to experience it. So let me encourage you and me, each of us, to draw near to that love, to stay in that love, so that we might learn to love others. Now we're going to take communion together. Communion is our time to remember what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, to remember his love for us, that he loved us enough to break down all those barriers that were between us and the Father because of our sin. And he died so that that wall might be taken down and so the walls between us might be taken down as well. So let's pray. Lord, as we approach the communion table this morning. We do so with thankful hearts that you loved us enough, that you so desired that we might be able to be with you and know the love that you experienced, Jesus, from the Father, that, that you went to the cross in our place, that you took the punishment I deserved, that each one of us deserved, on your own back so we could be forgiven and that barrier could be torn down, the curtain could be ripped from top to bottom, that we could be one with you. So Lord, we thank you as we celebrate communion together. We do it with thankful hearts. And Lord, use this time to open our hearts to how we might be more one with you and with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you take communion now, as we take the elements, you're celebrating your oneness with every believer throughout history and every believer throughout the world today because it's what Christians do to celebrate who they are in Christ. So think about that. And I want you to do something a little unusual. As you get the plate, as it gets passed to you today, I want you to pass it to the next person and say, Christ's body, which was broken for you.
so that we might serve one another and remember that we are one because of what Jesus did. So just pass the plate and say, Christ's body, which is broken for you.